Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Betty with the message. I don't know if it's just me, but um, have any of you have, do any of you have memories from when you were a kid where you did something kind of funny or odd or ridiculous, but you had no clue why it was that until you're older and then you look back and you're like, oh, why in the world would I do that? Um, and maybe there was a response from somebody that kind of showed you in that moment that there was something that you did that didn't make sense to them, um, but it's not until later that you realize that. I have this specific memory of when I was about seven or eight years old, and I had a cousin who was my age, and she was one of my best friends, and so sometimes during the summertime, I would go and I would spend a few days with her family, and uh, some of the things that we did as families were a little different. I grew up on a farm where um, almost everything that we ate came like directly from our garden or from the barn <laughs> or from our farm. And um, my cousin, it was a little bit, you know, more, they ate a little bit more out of convenience. For us, it wasn't necessarily that we were health conscious. It was just that was what was practical. It was in our backyard instead of having to drive an hour to, you know, a store that had more selections. Um, so it was always a treat for me when I would get to go to my cousin's house and get like frozen pizza, right? It was just the best. Um, so I remember one time going to uh, their house, and my aunt, she gave me the honor of choosing the kind of pizza to get. And for me, this was, this was a big deal, because, you know, I grew up on a farm where, like, you just, you eat what you get, right? And, and what your parents are eating, that's what you're eating. And so without any hesitation, I said, I want a supreme pizza, Right? So I don't know if that's um, mostly what it's called here in Iowa, that's what it was called, when it's everything on it, all the vegetables, all the peppers and onions and all the things. So my aunt was so surprised because her kids liked the classic, right? They liked pepperoni, they liked cheese, maybe some sausage if they were like adventurous, but they didn't like all the things on it. And so she said, are you, are you sure? I said, yeah, of course I'm sure, that's my favorite, I love it, I love Supreme Pizza. And she said, Okay, well, I, I asked you what you wanted, so that's what we're going to get. So she goes to the store, she gets this pizza, we bring it back to their house, and she cooks it, and she starts to serve it to her daughter, my cousin, and of course, my cousin wasn't into that, and so she asked her mom to pick off all the extra vegetables, right, all the peppers and onions and mushrooms and all the things. And so I'm sitting there watching, and I'm like, that is a brilliant idea, and so I said, um, excuse me, can, can you do that for me too? And she stopped in shock and she was like, I, this is what you wanted. You said that you love Supreme Pizza. And I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> but I wasn't understanding this disconnect that I was saying that I loved something, but how I was treating it was really demonstrating the exact opposite because I was rejecting everything about it that made it Supreme and I had no idea what I was doing, right? I, I thought that I loved it because I knew that my parents loved it and they always got it, and so I thought that I loved it. But in that moment, my actions were not reflecting that. 
And that's a pretty common experience is that it's really easy to claim that you love something, but then your actions don't really line up with that statement. And sometimes we don't realize it until hindsight. At least that was the case for me. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, of what it means to actually express this love that we claim to have. And the the past few weeks we've been walking through the, the book of 1 John, and authors are fairly certain that it was the Apostle John who wrote the book. It doesn't explicitly state that in the book, um, but it is clear that it was an apostle, meaning that he lived with Jesus, that he experienced the incarnate God, that he got to see miracles firsthand, that he got to hear his teachings firsthand, that he got to walk with him, that he got to actually receive love from the physical person of Jesus. And that he also got to witness the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so he had this very, very personal connection. And at the time of the writing, um, it was early uh, people of, of early Jewish heritage who had become believers in Jesus. They heard the message. They accepted the truth. It was the early church. And um, not too long after um, these believers had been, had been doing this together. There was a, a group of people who decided that they were going to reject this message, that they were going to deny the truth of Jesus, and that they were going to leave the church altogether. And they were causing a lot of problems in the process. They were trying to deceive people. They were trying to um, get people to deny this truth that they had been taught. And so um, the apostle, uh, John, um, we, who we believe to be John, is writing this. It's not so much a letter. It's more, it's very poetic in nature, and you can kind of see that as you read through the book, the way that these um, themes are kind of wrapped throughout, and it's very poetically written. And so it's a little bit more like a written sermon, but regardless, it's this message that's written to these early believers, trying to remind them the truth of what they originally embraced. And it was a truth that this apostle knew very personally because he had witnessed it himself. And so he was reminding them of the character of Jesus, who he equates to God. And uh, the themes that, that circle throughout this book is that Jesus is light and that Jesus is love. And so the love portion is what we're going to focus on today, and that will be in 1 John chapter 3. Is the screen working now? 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11, and we're going to read through the end of that chapter, which would be to verse 24, and I'll be reading from the NLT version. Um, So if you would like to find it on you version, or you can follow on the screen, um, or open your Bibles, we'll be reading there. So again, that's 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. 
We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees another brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence, and we'll receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment that we must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commands us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And now, and we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this um, message that we see from somebody who lived life among you. I pray, God, that um, the words that were written to these early believers would also um, speak to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower me, that if there's anything I say that is not from you or that's not clear, that it would be forgotten and that whatever you want to communicate, God, that it would um, impact hearts, including my own. Uh, We pray, God, that you would um, empower us to be who you have asked us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Sorry. So John starts this section by mentioning Cain and Abel. And if you're not familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, kind of a crazy story, we see it in Genesis 4, and it is the first two sons of Adam and Eve. And so some of the very first people that existed. And Abel was a shepherd, so he was the one who was in charge of stewarding the animals, taking care of them. And then Cain was a farmer who worked the land and who grew crops. So the time came for them to offer a sacrifice to God in order to demonstrate their their commitment to him, their respect to him, their love to him. And they both bring their sacrifices. So we see that Abel um, brings a blood sacrifice from his flock, and then we see that Cain brings um, some crops in order to to offer as a sacrifice to God. And so God accepts one of them and rejects the other. He accepts Abel, and he accepts this animal sacrifice, but then he rejects Cain. And it's not super specific as to why, but it does say that God was pleased with Abel's and that he uh, was not pleased with Cain's. And we can see some indications throughout Scripture. We see that in the book of Hebrews, when it's referring to Abel, that um, it talks about him offering offering his sacrifice in faith, but it doesn't say that about Cain. 
And uh, we see also in uh, the book that clearly, based on Cain's actions right after this event, there was some pretty significant heart issues and attitude issues. So it's pretty, um, pretty fair to say that, that the heart was a big part of it. And then we also see that Abel, it says that he offered the best, right? He offered the firstborn of his flock. He offered really what cost him the most, But Cain, it just says that he offered of his crops. He offered some of his crops. So it doesn't necessarily say that he offered the worst, but it definitely doesn't say that he offered the best. And based on this, um, God rejected that. And Cain gets really mad. And it's kind of funny, this conversation between him and God, because God's like, why are you mad? You didn't do what you were supposed to do, so I didn't accept it. But Cain was furious. And so what does he do? He lashes out on his brother instead of really looking at himself and where he was wrong and how he fell short and how he should have done things differently. And it's sad because this was the first time in history that somebody's life was taken by another. And so it was this really significant moment. And so John, as he's reminding these early believers of how they ought to live in reflection of who God is, they're reminding them, he's reminding them of this story, and he's saying, don't be like Cain, who murdered his brother. And that seems like a pretty obvious commandment. I don't think that any of us would be at risk of that, or need to be reminded of that. But John takes it further And he says in, let's see, in verse 15, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. So this drives it home a little bit further. And we can see similar words that Jesus spoke in the Gospels as well. That it went deeper than actions and really cuts down to the heart. And hate is something that's um, really uncomfortable to talk about, especially for me, somebody who like can't stand conflict and wants everyone to be at peace all the time. But if we're honest and look around the world, this is a really, um, really prevalent part of human existence in our world. We see it when we turn on the television and we see wars and attacks and violence. We see it on social media when people just start lashing out on each other and bashing each other and separating themselves from other in a way that makes it seem like the other has no value. We see it in our community too as people refuse to maybe look at how they have fallen short. And we see how that happens with Cain, right? He lashes out on his brother. He performs the worst act of hate that he can against his brother because he refuses to look in himself and see where he has fallen short and where he can do things differently. And often that's where hate begins to brew is when we're unwilling and unable to see the things in ourselves that are broken And so we begin to channel that towards others. 
And it's not something that always happens quickly, right? It's something that can grow really slowly. Maybe it's some bitterness towards something that happened to you. Maybe it's some frustration or maybe just judgment against people who live or believe differently than you that you possibly can understand. Maybe it's uh, resentment or anger. And slowly those things begin to build until we no longer wish well for that person. But we wish harm on that person. And maybe we don't act on it. But just as John says, if that hate lives in us, then really we're murderers at heart. And that's a hard truth to swallow and to hear. And unfortunately, it's not absent even among Christians, right? We see it all around us. Opposing perspectives. Maybe not recognizing the value of somebody else who is different than you. And not wishing well for them. And so maybe some of us do really struggle with that, of that kind of building up in us. But when I think back to this story of my cousin and myself and this pizza, um, the truth is that neither one of us really loved it. She was very clear that she hated it. (laughs) And I claimed that I loved it, um, but really neither one of us did. So maybe there are some of us that are like, I don't hate people, I love people. But John takes it a little bit further and he says, don't just merely say you love people. Let it be evident in your actions, right? That if you see another brother or sister in need and you have what it takes to provide for them, if you have what it takes to show compassion on them in that moment and you don't, then do you really love them? And then he gives this example of Jesus that's, that's the highest price that could have been paid of Jesus laying down his life for us. And he sets that as the model, like this is the character of Christ, this love that is not just spoken, but that is demonstrated by something that has a high cost. And I I don't know about you, but I, growing up in the church, I heard a lot the words, Jesus loves you, or I love you, and that's important. We need to hear those words. But the moments that I truly believed it and experienced it, was through people who loved me in a way that cost them something, that demonstrated and that loved me, and loved me in a way that I knew that Jesus would. I think about times that I was in really financially hard places, and and people, brothers and sisters in Christ, um, provided for me in ways that I, I couldn't have on my own at that point. Or I think about people in this church who a couple years ago when I was going through a really dark time where I felt super alone and broken and was processing through some kind of traumatic events um, were present for me in a way that maybe wasn't a big deal to them, but for me it felt like it cost them something. Times that I sat on their couch and cried until like midnight or one in the morning, and they were present with me and loved me and offered me um, just space and encouragement and love. 
It cost them time that they could have been doing something else. It probably cost them sleep. It cost them emotional energy. And again, maybe to them it didn't feel like it cost them a lot, but for me, from, I'm pretty sure it did. And in those moments, I experienced the love of Jesus. I was reminded of how real the love of Jesus is. And so often we think that we need to tell people how it is. We need to tell people Jesus loved them. And yes, we do need to tell people that. But the way that people experience it and the way that their hearts are changed and the way that they can truly come to believe that this is real is if they experience that love. A love that is costly. And I do want to give a little bit of a disclaimer, too, that um, I could see how this phrase, that love is costly, um, could be kind of used in these manipulated ways. And so I want to say that what it doesn't mean is um, staying in abusive situations where it costs you your safety and your well-being. That's not what it means. And it doesn't mean getting into situations, which I think I, I can be kind of prone to, where um, you give and give and give of yourself in kind of a codependent situation to the point where somebody else relies on you to do things that they probably should and are able to do on their own. And that's not what it means either. But I believe what it means is to give something valuable that has been cultivated in your life. When we look at, at the sacrifices that were given, for example, by Abel, it was out of this flock that he stewarded and cared for. And he did give the most valuable. He did give what cost him the most, but it was out of this whole flock that, had, that he had been stewarding. And I, I believe that's true for really any area of our life, that if we are going to offer emotional support for people, I love that Derek and Jerry, they advocate for emotional health. Um, faith walking, what is it called now? It's called something new now. Emotionally focused, yes. I love that that's something that they advocate for uh, because I think that for, for Christians for a long time, they've kind of neglected this. And so I believe that if, if you're meant to emotionally support and care for others, that that needs to be cultivated in your own life in order for you to be able to pay that price. Or the same with finances, right? If we're going to financially support others, then we need to be financially responsible to steward what's been given to us so that we can be generous, so that we can give our best. Or with our time, if we feel called to give our time in order to serve and to love, then do we actually have space in our life to give it so that not everything else in our, in our life crumbles that we're responsible for? Have we stewarded that in our life? And so it could cost us a, a lot of different things. It could cost us time. It could cost us energy. It could cost us money. When I think about the life of Jesus, there were some other things that cost him as well, like his reputation. That he would go and he would associate with people that everyone else was like, what are, what are you doing? Why are you even... Why are you even allowing yourself to be seen with people who are like the scum of the earth, right? If we're truly going to love our neighbor, there's going to be times that people don't get it and that people might judge us for it and that our reputation might be at stake. 
And so it could cost us a lot of things. We see Jesus constantly. There's a lot of things that it cost him throughout his life. And so I don't know where you stand today, if it's easy for anger and hate to rise up in you and, and you're, you're honest about that. Or maybe you're like, I want to love, but I, I'm not sure how. And I feel that I need more to be cultivated in my life in order for me to be able to love in a way that costs me something. One of the verses that I find really powerful in this passage is in verse 20. It says, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. So Jesus calls us to this love that's real and that's costly. But the truth is, none of us are going to do it perfectly. The truth is that all of us are guilty in some sense. But that he's greater than that. And he has loved us in a way where we are able to approach him, we're able to receive love from him in a way that we do not deserve. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.